Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, Eric Bill said, I guess John McCure and I both have a couple things to learn about this. Now, <laughs> yesterday during the, the start of the program, I noted that we, we all share the, the same computer here. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you, you log off and you log back on. And his Twitter account kept coming up. It was and, and so I commented on the air that, hey, you know, is there anything we want to say, you know, with McCure's yeah, yeah, name, yeah. etc. But but of course, I, I would not do anything like that. So, I mean, ultimately, I figured out, logged, logged him off. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. All right, so turnabout is fair play. Apparently, when I left the chair yesterday, he pulled it up, and, and my Twitter account was still there. But rather than simply just closing it or maybe mocking me for, you know, mocking him for leaving it open, he decided to send out a tweet <laughs> on my account. Right, so it's like, it's like 3.30, and I'm... I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and all of a sudden I see on my account there's a tweet that says, Jeff loves Fran. Okay, well, that's 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 cute, and that's fine, and it's true, and it's okay. And I thought, all right, I've, I've now learned my lesson. So imagine my surprise when I come down and sit here, sit again today, and open this up, and what should happen? But McCure's Twitter account <laughs> is open again. Well... Let, let, let us just say that the restraint I, I exercised yesterday, I chose not to exercise today. So, I see that. So there's, yeah, there's a, there, there's a, there is a tweet that, that went out. I, I just I let it go the first day, but so that's... I noticed that. Yeah, I think maybe you should keep going. <laughs> that's it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And there, these are, it, it's, it's good that we like each other. You know, that's the thing. You know, it's, re- it's really good because, you know, you could do that. So this isn't exactly a hack of the various Twitter accounts because we make that too easy. But if you, if you follow John McCure's Twitter account, well, all right. There, there's a reference to the start of this program, mm, yeah. and if you follow my account, you know who, who knows? You know what could be on there later on today. That's uh, at Jeff Wagner six twenty. So, just a little fun and games around the radio station. We do not go gently into the good weekend. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I've got some not just pop culture corner coming up at two thirty, but there's also I think some fun lighter topics. It's been it's been a, it's been a tough week. I mean, look, I, you know the the impeachment thing. I understand everybody is on their last nerve with that. You've got all the different crime issues. You've got the debacle that was the Iowa Democratic Caucus, where they're still counting votes. They're still counting votes. It is 2020. We put a man on the moon in 1969, and they can't figure out how to count votes in Iowa in four or five days. It does appear that um, that that Pete Buttigieg is is going to be the the winner, but he and Bernie Sanders very close. Big losers, of course, Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. So that makes at least for them the Democrat debates tonight and the primary next Tuesday in New Hampshire even more important. All right, let us get started. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mark the tape, Gru, who is producing the show today and always. I don't say this very often. I agree with Mayor Tom Barrett. I think he is right. I think Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales is wrong. But I am curious as to what you think. All right. 
They call it double dipping. Now, some people object to the term double dipping, but what it generally means is you have, at least in this context, is you have a public employee who retires from their job. They start collecting their pension. So they're pulling in the pension. And then they go back to work for the same employer in either the same job or a similar job. And at the same time they are collecting their pension, they are also collecting a full-time salary. All right. So here's what has happened. There is there, there's a, a woman who works for the police department and she ended up retiring in 2017 as a Milwaukee police captain in charge of the department's office of management analysis and planning. All right? So she retires. She's making a lot of money. She starts collecting her pension. And, you know, her pension, let's see, what are the numbers they have? Her pension, she makes in her pension around, what's the number? Around uh, $90,000, $87,000 a year in her pension. All right, fine. That's a huge pension payment, but she's earned it. She's worked for that over the years. No problem. All right, she's entitled to that. Well, what happens is she doesn't retire. Instead, she is hired back to the same post that she occupied in 2017. But what they do is they say, okay, we're going to reclassify this and we're going to treat her as a civilian, not as, again, a rank-and-file sworn officer. But she's doing exactly the same job. So what that means is that she's now in a position where she is going to be collecting her $87,000 a year pension and... She is going to be collecting a salary in the amount of um, somewhere around $103,000. All right. He's promoted her now to the rank of assistant chief, meaning she will get a raise and still continue to draw her pension. So she's been making $103,000. Um, the pay raise for assistant chiefs is between one hundred and three and $145,000. So she is going to be continuing. She's going to earn a six-figure salary, and she's going to be collecting $87,000 a year. What that means is she will be collecting at least $190,000. That's at least $190,000 a year from the city, either through the salary or through the pension plan put together. Entirely possible she's going to get more money than that because for this post that Morales has just post hired her for, promoted her to, the minimum payment is one hundred and three grand. She could end up getting $120,000, dollars $140,000. Tom Barrett has criticized this process. When it first happened that this woman was rehired for the same job that she was doing before, he criticized it, and now he's criticized it again. And it's not directed necessarily at this particular employee. It's directed at the policy of promoting or rehiring somebody who is already collecting a city pension. He says it's unfair to the taxpayers of the city at a time when we've been forced to cut police officers to have someone on the command staff make over $100,000 and get a full pension in addition to that. 
All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some people would argue that it's really not costing the city anything because if you hired somebody else, you would have to pay them a salary and um, you'd have to pay them a, a salary. So, you know, this person, the, the woman who's now been promoted, she's going to be collecting her pension regardless. So what difference does it make if she's getting the salary or somebody else is getting the salary? Now, that person, the new person who would be hired, of course, would be contributing into the pension plan. She doesn't do that, and she doesn't earn more on her pension. You can't, once you retire, that's it. You can't have a second pension. But let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again... Depending on how you figure it, there may be, and I say maybe, no net cost to the taxpayers by doing this. But keep in mind also that there's somebody else, somebody who's still working, somebody who's active, who's now been passed over for this promotion in favor of somebody who has retired. I think that's bad policy. I also think at the end of the day, this does cost employees and I and taxpayers, and I have no problem with the idea of, of people you know, retiring and collecting a big salary. I just think that when you retire, you should retire. And this notion that you're going to turn around and be hired for essentially the same job that you just retired for so you can collect a big pension and still collect your salary, there's something about that that bothers me. And I side with the mayor. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Rue is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Like I say, I'm not sure that this is a net cost to the taxpayers. I, I think it probably is. But at the same time, when you retire from a job, you start collecting the pension. I think there's something wrong, especially in the public sector, where you get brought back for the same job, or in this case, promoted by the police chief to another job. So somebody else who might have wanted to get an assistant chief who is actually still working, um, not retired, they get passed over. I, it just doesn't smell right to me. Let's start with Arthur in Milwaukee. Arthur, you're on WTMJ. Oh, good How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think of this? Well, you know, I retired from the police department. I did 11 years in the police department as civilian. When I retired, I tried to come back as a PSSer. That's another another position they have. Right. They do a paperwork, little lightweight stuff. They make two thousand dollars every two weeks. They make it seventy, eighty thousand dollars off their pension. Right. But I couldn't go back because it's a clause. I called City Hall about that. There's nothing we can do about it because it's a, it's a grandfather clause. It states that the police department uh, gives the jobs to the police officers. Right. Well, and I, I said, wait a minute, man. I, I, I did. Dedicated eleven years of my life with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That's wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see that. I mean, th- see, that's. I, I I appreciate that, and and it seems like. I mean, this really is a situation of of who do you know? And, and look, I, and again, this conversation isn't about the individual qualifications of 
of the person that's been promoted here. Her name is Regina Howard. And, and if, if he wants to promote her to assistant chief, that's fine. But she retired a couple years ago, and she's been collecting a full and substantial benefit since then. He brings her back to one position that was, I think it started at a salary of eighty grand, and now this new one has a salary of at least 103000 She's retired. She's retired. And, and it's not a situation... Like, sometimes I think you could perhaps justify this if you say, all right, look, the the person who's retired has a particular and unique skill set. We can't replace them. They're the only person that can do what this person does. So, you know, for us to, they've announced they're going to retire, it's going to take us a year or two years to find somebody else that we could move to fill in that job. So on a short-term basis, we're going to bring somebody in to bridge that gap. Okay, you could maybe make that argument, but that's not what this case is. Clearly, she's somebody who is close to Chief Morales. That, that's great, and, and I think he has enti- every right to you know bring people who are close to him, his command staff. He gets to have that choice. But my goodness, what does it say when you're passing over all these other people who are active police officers and saying, okay, you're not getting the promotion. We're going to give it to somebody who's been retired for a couple years or at least collecting a pension for a couple years. Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. I, I never thought I would say this. I'm siding with Tom Barron also. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Morales, I, I was surprised. Um, but I, I, to me, it's kind of obscene. I mean, you got people that are, like you said, they're, they're still working. They're trying to get there. And you got somebody that's already retired and gets rehired for an obscene amount, plus their um, their pension, which is you know most right. most people struggle to get that in their four ones, you know, for a while. Oh yeah, but, no, uh, eighty-seven grand a no. year is a very and I'm not I'm, I mean that's what she's entitled to, I, but I, it's not I, I like get it. she's get it. getting a lot. Of, but no, but she's you're right, she's getting a very large pension amount, almost six figures, and on top of that, she's now going to be able to fully earn a hundred grand plus. Give me a break. And, and the other thing is, most places try to eliminate the ones that are making that much. You know, well, they they prefer to have somebody come up cheaper. But uh, all right, no. I, I just want got me confused. No, I mean thank, again, and and it's. It's one of these situations, like I said a minute ago, I, I think you can construct a scenario. And I look, I understand that this happens in the private sector sometimes. But what, what when it happens, again, it's because the employee who is retiring has this unique skill set and they, they need they need to have a transition. She, okay, you know, Marilyn is retiring, and Marilyn is really the only, she's been doing this job for 30 years, and she's really the only one who understands the nuances of this particular job. So she says she's going to retire April 1st. Well, it's going to take us nine months or a year to replace her. So what we're going to do is we'll offer her an, an interim contract, keep doing that job until we can replace her, and then, you know, give her a gold watch and send her off. I, okay, I understand that, but, but this, this isn't that. This is this, again, it's sort of this buddy-buddy deal, which is designed, irrespective of, this, of the merits of this particular employee, it's designed to say, okay, we're going to allow some people to make an enormous amount of money by the ter- adding pension and salary together, 
And what we're going to do is we're going to bypass other arguably qualified people who have perhaps been waiting for years to maybe see if they could move up to this position. They're now getting passed over by somebody who is, quote unquote, technically retired. Doesn't seem to me that this would be great for a morale type of situation. And I, I think, again, in many cases, it does probably end up costing the taxpayers money because the person that would be hired for that new job, assuming that they are not a retiree, they'd continue to be paying in for their pension. But to me, it's not necessarily even the money. It's just an idea of sort of, again, I think bad policy, absent, gee, she is the only one who could do this particular job. And I don't think that there's anybody who's making that argument. It's just she's somebody who obviously has the trust of Chief Morales. He wants her around, and, and that's 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 all well and good, but maybe she shouldn't have retired in the first place. Nope, pains me to say it too, but I'm kind of with Tom Barrett on this one as well. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of the, the things that I think is happening, and it's not necessarily for the good, is I think we are becoming a nation of pearl clutchers. By, by that I mean that the people who are constantly offended by, by everything, the people who take every remark literally when it's clearly not meant literally. And, and, you know, on my program, you know, we'll document all sorts of stories about that where you have somebody says something that's relatively innocuous and people interpret it in the worst possible fashion and then we're all clutching our pearls and we're all upset about, oh, how could somebody say this, etc. All right, so I, I look at, What's going on in Menominee Falls? So understanding that we've got to be aware that we're becoming a nation of pearl clutchers. At the same time, there are certain things in today's day and age that you do not kid around with. If you are going to get on an airplane and you're down in that line outside of Mitchell Field, all right, trust me, don't yell out, hey, Frank, do you still have the gun in your bag? Because nobody, you could be kidding. You could be kidding. All right, here, it's just a joke between you and your buddy Frank. Don't do it because they have no sense of humor when it comes to these things, and, and nor, nor should they. We don't kid around about, you know, gun stuff. I have a story that I might get to a little bit later on about a, a six-year-old girl with Down syndrome who was arrested by the police because she took her index finger, extended it, raised her thumb, and pointed, you know, in, in the thing of a gun, this is a six-year-old with Down syndrome, and pointed it towards her teacher. And, and they called the police. All right, okay, it's a six-year-old with Down syndrome. So there are certain things you do not kid about, which brings us to the very dysfunctional community of Menominee Falls. And, and again, as Eric and I were just talking about, Menominee Falls has had a, a lot of controversies. You had the whole controversy with the school board, including certain school board members who are probably going to get voted out in April, over the whole issue of, of changing the, the nickname. Um, then you've got, again, the whole issue with the fire department, where there's been reports that you know, at certain points in time, they had what one fire truck that was working or something like that. So you've got this ongoing battle now. So into this wades the village manager, who's different than the elected official. It's not the village president. Um, he comes in, and apparently he's talking to the assistant fire chief, and they're trying to develop this plan. I guess that they're going to 
present to the public because maybe they're going to want a referendum to hire more people. And in the context of the discussion, he says, I don't want anybody stepping up to the microphone. And he's talking about at future public hearings and saying that we really want 45 more firefighters because then I bring a gun to the next meeting. Uh, the assistant fire chief then files a complaint about this. Now, I've got a couple things to say. First of all, I, I think in context, it's very, very clear that the village manager isn't talking about, hey, you know, if somebody steps up to the microphone and says they want 45 police, uh, 45 firefighters, I'm going to pull out my gun and I'm going to start shooting people. He's, I, there's nothing in this remark that indicates to me that he has any serious intent of committing violence. So to an extent, the fact that the assistant fire chief hears this and decides, I'm going to take this literally, and I'm going to report this as a potential threat, tells me that the assistant fire chief, again, is suffering from that pearl clutcher syndrome that we're talking about. All right, so I, I get it. But nowadays, that's what people do. People, especially if they have agendas, decide that they want to take stuff literally, which is all the more reason why the village manager and anybody should know better that in positions like this, especially if you're a public official and you're having these discussions, maybe references to bringing firearms to public meetings and potentially using them. All right. Maybe that's probably not the best thing to say. All right, there's all sorts of stuff you could say. I don't want anybody stepping up to the microphone and saying we really want 45 more firefighters because then I just want to bang my head against the wall. Or then I'm just, I won't be able to take it anymore and I'm going to scream. Or then it's maybe my head will explode. All right, all those different types of things are fine. But it's not his head exploding. He says, I'm going to bring a gun to the next meeting. Now, again, they, they go out and they investigate. The guy doesn't own a gun, and he wasn't being literal, and he says he was trying to you know, make some sort of joke, and, and he probably was. It was like mock humor, and, and it was probably that. So I don't think it's fair to make too big a deal of it. But at the same time, what could the guy have been thinking? And it is interesting thus far because the village president and the trustees, they're – They've, they've all shut up about this. None of them are commenting on this at all, which is kind of interesting because, again, if you're a public official and you've got this story that's out there, you would think that somebody would at least just kind of offer a thought like, okay, we, we know we, we know the village manager. We think it was an unfortunate choice of words, and we've encouraged him not to make firearm references when he's trying to express his frustration in the future. That would be nice to get from some public official, some elected official in Menominee Falls, but – I won't hold my breath on that. So in any event, I I guess I I look at this. Is this the worst thing in the world? No. Did the guy, in my opinion, intend to bring a firearm and do something? Well, of course not. Was it fair to take him literally? Probably not. But at the same time, in today's day and age, you can't kid around about guns, period. When we come back, speaking of language, a coach, basketball coach at UW is out because of a story he told we're going to discuss you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj turmoil on the uw wisconsin men's basketball team now here's the story and and these two in my opinion are are related You might have read, if you're a basketball fan or a sports fan or a Wisconsin fan, a week or two ago, the the leading scorer for the men's basketball team, 
Um, his name is Kobe King, all-state performer at Lacrosse Central High School, signed with UW. He was a, a redshirt. He sat out his first year, so this is his sophomore season. So this is two seasons, and he's got two seasons of eligibility left. He announced a couple weeks ago that he was leaving the team, leaving the team effective immediately. All right, so wasn't going to finish out the year and was going to be looking to transfer. Now, this becomes relevant, I think, later on with the story because as part of the transfer rules for the NCAA, as a general rule, when you transfer from one college to another, you have to sit out the next year. So he wouldn't be able to play. Let's say he goes to, I don't know, Michigan State. Goes to Michigan State, enrolls next year. He wouldn't be able to play till the following year as a general rule. Now, how is that related to the story I'm about to tell? Well, it, it may or may not be. There's a guy named Eric Highland, Eric Helland, who is the strength and conditioning coach for the men's basketball program. He's been at UW since 2013, but before that, he worked in the NBA for 25 seasons. So he, he's extensive experience. I think he was with the Bulls for a number of years. So he's got extensive experience, and he's been at UW since 2013. All right, apparently what happens is he's talking to some of the athletes, and what he says is this happened January 3rd in Columbus, Ohio, one day before UW played Ohio State. So this is January 3rd. He says, I was sharing a story from my NBA career and explaining the intensity of a particular athlete. I quoted that individual, and in doing so, I repeated a repugnant word. In no way were my words, um, in no way were these my words, and I clearly stated my disapproval. All right, so... I, I mean, I don't even know exact, exactly what he said, but it's, it's kind of easy to figure out. He's This is a guy who's been in the NBA, all right, as a coach. He's trying to, I don't know, inspire, motivate, whatever, the, the college kids. And he's telling a story about an NBA athlete that he coached. And he probably says something like that, you know, Mr. X would always walk around saying, I am one tough, and I presume it's the N-word that he uses. All right. So but he, he's quoting the player saying that and he's telling it in the context of, of this story. That's what this guy would say. He's not calling the kids names. He's not using it gratuitously. He uses that word as part of a story that he is telling. And he quotes an athlete who would say that about himself. All right. He, he recognizes, he says, all right, may, maybe I shouldn't have done this. He says, from the beginning, I owned what I said. I made apologies to the student-athletes affected. I made a mistake in a moment of inattentiveness. For that, I have the, the deepest regret. So he says he apologizes to the kids that he told the story in front of. We handled it as a group. He says everything was fine. Apologies were accepted. Everybody was doing just fine. He said, and, and then that was the end of the matter. Except it didn't come back until Kobe King decided he wanted to leave. And then, you know, what happened is, putting together the pieces, is Kobe King, he, he doesn't want to sit out a year. And in trying to explain why it was that he was leaving, he apparently made reference to sort of a racist culture at, at UW. And... Then they, they start, okay, what racist culture are you talking about? And it comes out that, you know, he's talking about this particular coach using this word in, in this context. Now, 
I, I don't know about a racist culture, but one of the things that's going on is if the NCAA, for example, were to decide that this player was subjected to you know racism at UW Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin, they might be more inclined to not make him sit out a year. They have done that in the past. You know, they might just say, "Okay, you can go transfer somewhere and you can play right away." But in any event, this incident happened January third. The coach had apologized, and everybody thought it was behind him. Now. It's come out again, and yesterday or two days ago, you know, the coach who was originally suspended, he's now resigned. So, so he's he's leaving the, the program. I don't know if he was forced out or not, but but he's resigned. He says it's 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 he's un, it's, it's sorry that this happened. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, as I've frequently said in these situations, use of certain words, you, you just can't do it. it. It doesn't matter what context they are. They're inappropriate. They're unacceptable. You shouldn't do it. However, if it is true, and it appears to be true, that this guy used this word in the context that he says he did, and that apparently everybody else says he did, I'm telling the story. I am quoting a player from the NBA who was talking about his toughness. I didn't direct this as a racial slur at any of the players. I'm just saying, hey, this is what this guy, and I don't know what player it was, but my guess is it's some player that everybody could relate to. If he just told it, used the word in the context of a story and in quoting somebody else, all right, is this a huge matter of concern? Should he be, essentially, is this something that he should be suspended for? Or is this one where you just whistle the guy in and you say, look, as you well know, this is an inappropriate word to use. Please don't do it again. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think from the coach's perspective, he thought that this was all over. He apologized immediately for repeating that story, said thought the apologies was accepted. Now, you know, three or four weeks later, after one of the players has decided to leave, now this becomes a, a big issue. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, the coach was wrong to relate this story and to use that word. That is my opinion. But should that cost him his job? That's what I have a problem with. Back with more in just a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And this is Jeff Wagner. The outgoing coach, who's now resigned, says around the time that UW was dealing with the abrupt departure of this Kobe King from the program, he began hearing rumblings that his use of that that derogatory term might be used by the player as a way to gain immediate eligibility next season. Student athletes typically require to sit out a season after transferring, but some have received waivers from the NCAA after claiming mitigating circumstances. Now, I don't know what this whole thing is is all about and, and whether that's part of the reason that this is surfacing. All I know is I think this is a pretty extreme penalty that the guy is being required to pay for what I think is an error, and it's clearly an error in judgment. And, I, you know, one of the things I think that's frustrating for a lot of us is I, I think that particular word that I assume he used, I, mean, I don't think it has a place in society. I, I just don't. I think we would be a better place if nobody used that word. No white people used the word. No black people used the word. No Latino people used that particular word. We would be a better place. I cringe when I turn on the television and you watch some of these shows or 
uh, you know, you, you, you watch some movies or whatever, and it seems like every third word out of somebody's mouth is that word. And I don't care whether it's coming from, you know, a black person or a white person or a Latina person. It is an offensive term. It should not be used. And clearly, this particular coach should have understood that if he was going to be relating a story about some player in the NBA, who I'm sure that all these people could relate to and stuff, maybe that's one where, you know, you don't you don't have to use that word to convey the meaning of whatever the guy was it's saying. You can certainly, you know, just leave it blank and everybody will probably know what it was he was saying. And he made an error in doing that. And I think everybody understands it, including him. I'm just saying that if, if that's all this was if that's all this was, I don't think it should have cost him his job. He apparently apologized. Everybody accepted the apology. Everybody was ready to move on. There's no allegations that this was part of a pattern of racism or racist remarks on his part or on behalf of parts of anybody else at the UW system. It was a story he told, and he probably should have changed the language to protect I don't know, protect himself, if nothing else. Now, the question a number of you are asking in text, and I just don't know the answer to it, is that um, what happened, what would have happened if this particular coach, and in this case, this coach is, a, is white, what would have happened if he had been black and had told exactly the same story? Would it have turned out the same way? And my answer is I don't know. Now, going back to my basic premise, I just think, you know, we're, we'd be a better society if we just didn't use that word, period. And certainly if you are in a position of authority and you're a coach and you've got college basketball players or high school basketball players, I don't care what the context is. Just keep that word out of your mouth and it'll avoid a lot of these problems. That being said, to cost the man his job, if that really is all there is to this story, and I think that's all there really is to this story, I think is extremely unfortunate. But it's life nowadays. Welcome to 2020. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric Bell said, I love the way sometimes our listeners kind of rub it in. Here's the text that came in during your newscast. Laying by the pool here in Marco Island, listening to the Jeff Wagner Show through my Bluetooth. It's 80 and warm here. It's been that way all week. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I, 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 that, that's it. But I, that, that, is the, that is the really cool thing about, again, our streaming and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because oh, we yeah. have people that listen from all over, not just the country, but all over the world. And they like to remind us of that. And they like, especially, well, that's, that's all very good. Yeah, I, more power I, to you. I got an interesting text yesterday. It, was, it actually kind of made my day. Somebody said, Jeff, I've been listening to you for, for 20 years. And I just, I, I really, you should run for political office. You should, you know, you should do that. Run for governor or something like that. <laughs> I, I just I, I appreciated the and, and it was very complimentary as to why I should do that and I said I appreciated the I'm thinking I appreciate the sentiment but um, um, if I were to discuss that with my wife I, her comment would be you that's it fine you go ahead and you do that and then um, see you later you know and I just <laughs> it's, it's, I, so and I don't I don't think that would go over very well mm-hmm. but I like doing sure. this there and also I like the idea of laying uh, by the pool at Marco Island when it's say. eighty degrees that works as well all right. Yesterday, I did not have an opportunity to listen to the entire presentation that President Trump made in the East Room. Um, it's, it started about quarter after 11, 
and I was getting ready for the program, and it went on for about an hour. I mean, and obviously, you know, I, the, the last 20 minutes or so, I was doing my own show, so I, I just didn't hear it, but I, 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 I had read about it, and what I decided to do last night is I, I, I went back, and I I listened to, I, I won't say I listened to the whole hour of it, but I listened to a, a good portion of it because it was getting so much attention. The general the general sentiment by the the I'm going to call the mainstream media was that they thought he sounded unhinged that that that's the general one. I'll, let me read you a little description here this is the way the new york times writes at least a portion of it um it was evil mr trump said of the investigations that led to his senate trial in an hour long stream of consciousness addressed to supporters in the east room of the white house tossing aside the more calibrated text prepared by his staff it was corrupt it was dirty cops it was leakers and liars and that should never ever happen to another president um ever I don't know that any other president would have been able to take it. So you, you've got that that's out there. At one point in time in his presentation, and I always, he, um, he used a word, which I, I think, and the, the fact checkers would suggest this, it, it's a word that I, the FCC doesn't allow me to say on the radio, not that I would say that, that, um, that they don't believe they can find a record of any president ever Using you know this particular obscenity you know in 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 a public speech, but President Trump did that, and you know and he went off on James Comey, he went off on, on Nancy Pelosi. There there wasn't any sort of olive branch at all that was extended. Now this is in stark contrast, by the way, to what happened after the Clinton impeachment proceedings wound down. After the Clinton proceedings wound down, Bill Clinton went into the Rose Garden and issued an apology. Um, he, he was very actually contrite. You know, he said, and he said that, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but he said that he, I think his phrase was profoundly sorry. He said, look, I'm profoundly sorry for what I did that contributed to, to this. And he issued an apology, and he, was, he clearly wanted to move on. And the Republicans in the House that had brought about this impeachment proceeding, they were looking at Clinton's approval ratings going through the roof. I think it was like 70-plus percent at the time. And, and they wanted to move on as well. It's very, very clear that President Trump is not in that same position, and he's he's not interested in moving on, and he's not interested in extending an olive branch. And of all the different presentations, and, and by the way, you know, President Trump is probably, if you, if you think he's emboldened, it's probably because, you know, his daily tracking numbers in the Gallup poll are higher than they have ever been. He's looking at, at the Democrat debacle in Iowa. He's won a couple court cases, including one uh, this morning or last night involving these uh, one of the lawsuits saying that, you know, he's unfairly or illegally profiting from operations that the Trump family business has. He just won a lawsuit. Clearly, it's been a good week for the president, and he was relishing it, and he was launching off, and he doesn't appear willing to extend you know the olive branch all right our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line all right the mainstream media and the american left looks at that speech and says this guy is crazy he is completely and totally unhinged he has lost it his supporters i think by and large look at this and say you go guy I mean, this is, you're exactly right. This has been stuff that you've been put through for the last three years, and you have now come out on top, and you have every right to lash out and to crow about your victory. 
All right, where do you come down? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A masterful presentation saying things that need to be said, or, my gosh, is he unhinged? If you listen to it or read the summaries of it, and again, it, it's it's not, it's like no presidential address, I think, that has perhaps ever been given. But President Trump is like no president that we have ever had. All right, did he cross the line? Was it unhinged? Did he go too far? Or was this exactly what, I don't know, some of the people that tried to push his impeachment had to expect was going to come, given the fact that they tried to take him out and they failed? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a minute. But what did you think of the speech? Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before we get to the phone, let me just share with you a portion of the text I'm I'm getting in. Um, Jeff loved his speech. He was actually too nice to the left for the last three years. The left has done nothing. They were uh, that that he had wanted to do. They should all pay a price come the next election. Jeff Trump was a little unhinged. He brought this on himself when he broke the law and solicited a foreign government to interfere in our election and then tried to cover it up. Jeff, I wouldn't say unhinged. I would say, however, pompous, arrogant, and I'm not sure what that word is. All unprofessional and at an unprecedented level. All right, Jeff, I thought it was a great speech. He was exactly correct about everything he said. I, I bring this up because there's four of what is 20, 30, 40 that have already come in, and you get the idea that we're kind of split on this as people are split on President Trump. Okay, unhinged or appropriate? Let's start with Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Dan. Um, I, be- I believe it's, uh, he's appropriate after the three and a half years that uh, the Democratic Party has put him, not only him, but his wife and his children to hell. Yes, Daniel Jackson. Um, he deserves to be able to spout off and say what he wants. Okay, do you think it was unpresidential or just well-deserved, given everything that went on? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, I'm going to... Was he ordering in a drive-thru? I don't know, or whatever, but I I get it. Dan said he thought it was well-deserved. Okay, let's try... We've got another Dan in New Berlin. Dan, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, unhinged or appropriate? Well, it was, I guess, a shock, I got several thoughts, a shocking contrast between teleprompter Trump on State of the Union and the non-teleprompter Trump uh, yesterday was, yeah. I mean, am I the only one that noticed a completely 180 degree difference? Um, I don't even know. It was kind of incoherent. I didn't, uh, from what I understand, it was a celebration of his acquittal, but he went back to the Mueller probe. Right. Eight months earlier. I, I what, what was that about? And he really didn't talk about the... Acquittal, and if, if I guess I, I would ask some of his supporters if he was wronged so badly by, and there were dirty cops and stuff like that. Why didn't he testify in the Mueller probe or the impeachment? You would think he'd want to get up there and you know tell everybody the truth that we could somehow expose the deep state and the liberal coup. And Dan, who do you been, think his been, who do you think his audience was? Was it the the general American public? Was it the people like like you who and I, I don't mean like you I'm not singling you out in a bad way who who sure. obviously don't who, who obviously just would have liked to have seen him removed or do you think he was just kind of playing to his his audience his base and trying to get right. him fired up? 
No, no, I understand that, and I don't. I don't think he should have been removed. I'm an independent conservative, so I get a unique way of looking at this. I just watched it for what it's worth. I had trouble following it. I mean, it was just rambling. Uh, you know, I, the, the the Steve Scalise story about the shooting in that at, at the ball game was yeah. just. You didn't find that to be a little oh, odd. No, oh no, I, I I didn't. Yeah, I, okay. I I understand. No, I I. I mean, thanks. I see. I. I, I, from what I understand, there was a, a teleprompter speech that there was there that, that, but I mean, President Trump, as he often does, he goes off script and, and he didn't go off script for the State of the Union as a general rule. He, he did go very much off script. Um, I, I, I guess I kind of listened to it and, and it's unlike anything else, but as I said earlier, President Trump is unlike any other president we've had. I, I thought, Look, I, I'm not approved. All right, I, I thought the, I thought the gratuitous obscenity was, you know, a little bit much because you know you're you're on television, you're on public airways, you're on the radio, and that that language I think we all know is supposed to be unacceptable. And I thought, okay, really, did did you need to do that? I understand that he wanted to vent. I guess I didn't necessarily think it was particularly unhinged. I thought it was what you see with Trump campaign rallies, and it'll be interesting to see because again, the, the audience, the audience wasn't the people that were trying to remove him. I think the intended audience was the Trump supporters and him like, hey, I'm still here and I'm going to be running hard and I'm going to be here with your support after next November. That's what I think he was trying to convey. But, I mean, clearly he feels like he has been wronged. And if anybody thinks that there's going to be this olive branch that gets extended, I don't get the sense that the president wants to extend one. And in fairness, I don't get the sense that his enemies, and I do use that word enemies, because I think that's a fair thing right now, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, I don't think they want to extend an olive branch, which means it's going to be a really bumpy ride for the next 10 months or so. Let's talk to Mark in Florida. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, um, I don't know if I heard the same comments um, yesterday that uh, the caller before did. Um, this was obviously an impromptu speech. He had some note cards, but those note cards, if you remember, and I watched the entire mm-hmm. session, the remarks, they were to make sure he didn't forget to thank any of the people in his administration, um, the government, et cetera, et cetera, his family, for helping him out. As far as him referring to the Miller probe, um, he gave context to what he's been through. Mm-hmm. He gave ton- context that this is the third time that people tried to accuse him of something and they came up with a nothing burger. Um, I saw this as a perfectly controlled speech. There was one comment I didn't really understand, and I appreciated he did use the BS word. Right. Um, that's common with people like Pelosi. Except she uses different words. Right. But there was only one train of thought, and over an hour I couldn't follow. And this was a much more controlled, congratulatory set of comments than one of his campaign rallies, where he will just get up there and rant. Mm-hmm. So you, you thought it was an effective speech? I, I watched the entire thing. I was glad I did. I, I'm amazed your caller before did. Did he see the same thing that I did? Because well, everybody else before him was complimentary to well, it. Well, it's interesting, Mark. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, one of the things you, I mean, it, it, President Trump is one of those types of people that, that there, there's no question, there's no gray area. And I've been commenting on this for, well, pretty much even before I think he was elected. People, there, there, there's two schools of thought, and we, we've lost 
we have lost any nuance. And I, I've long ago conceded that because what happens is there are people that just think Donald Trump is the Antichrist, who's at, bent on, on destroying this country. And there's people who think that he can do absolutely no wrong. And I'm not sure that there's anybody in between. I'm, I'm not. I, I can. I, whenever I talk about President Trump, I, I swear this is true. You, you can look at my texts and half the people will say, oh, my gosh, how can you defend that guy? And the other half will say, Jeff, you've gone completely over to the other side. You should be working for MSNBC. There's just there, there's no in between on this. Yesterday, I thought again, I, I thought it was do I think would I say unhinged? No, I, I wouldn't. I thought um, sometimes sometimes what happens is is when you win. I, I think it's you know, you, you don't need to rub it in. And I think President Trump has a tendency to to want to do what I call punch down. You know, he, he respond, and that's just his style. I mean, that that is his style. It, it didn't change for seventy years before he became president. It's not going to change while he's president. His response is to to you know, I mean, to to go after anybody that attacks him, regardless of whether it elevates those people in stature or or not. I understand he feels that he was treated extremely unfairly. I guess. Partly, I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have seen both sides be a little bit more contrite. Only from the perspective of, I'd like to still see if we can get some stuff done in this country over the course of the next ten or eleven months. I understand, though, that that's probably naive on my part. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a letter. That's been forwarded to me by um, somebody who works at We Energies. It's it's not dated, but I think it it just came out. Here here's what the the letter says, and it's under the it, it's it, it's a, the names at the bottom are both the, the president of We Energies and the CEO of We Energy Group. Okay, here's what it says. Good morning. We with the spotlight on Milwaukee and Wisconsin for this year's Democratic National Convention, we have the opportunity to share and show the nation what a world what world class reliability looks like. As you are aware, the convention takes place during one of the riskiest times of the year for damaging storms. It is imperative that we are committed to meeting the needs of our customers while addressing any issues that might arise in our Wisconsin service territories and within the city of Milwaukee. The commitment needs to be shared by all employees working in Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. To that end... We are requiring that employees at every level of the company, including officers, leaders, management, and representative empo- represented employees, are available to work from July 11th through July 18th. That means no vacations will be approved during this period. Few, if any, exceptions will be made, and they will need to be approved at a very, very high level. Any situations in which represented employees have already have had vacations scheduled and approved during this period will be handled consistent with obligations under the applicable collective bargaining agreements. Again, this directive is being made across our Wisconsin and UP work areas to ensure that we have the resources to meet all possible contingencies. We appreciate your support um, of this opportunity to show the world what one company, one team working together can achieve. All right, and then it's it's signed. Thank you. So uh, essentially the, the memo says that during the week of the Democratic National Convention, no, no vacations. And, and it's because, you know, I, obviously, you know, July, you can get some of those nasty thunderstorms that roll through, you know, and I think, you know, they're, they're saying that, look, you know, we, we, we want to, we want to make sure that if something, if we do get a bad weather event, if something happens, we want to make sure that it's all hands on deck 
in order to, you know, deal with this. So, so no vacations. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand why some employees who might have been planning, hey, that, that week in July, that second week in July, that's the week I, I always, I always take off to, to go somewhere. I, I understand why they might be a little bit upset with that. But at the same time, if this is in fact the policy that they, they don't, they don't want to grant vacations, nobody's going to get vacation approved. If you already got it approved, well then it's, it's considered, you know, they take it up with your, you know, if you're a represented employee, they take it up, you know, according to collective bargaining. But, but no vacations for the week of the Democratic National Convention. Is that an unreasonable position if that is, in fact, the position we energy takes? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. From my perspective, and I've been thinking about this since this was forwarded to me, I I mean, look, I, I understand why some employees that, that had plans might be unhappy about this. But at the same time, I also understand where the company is coming from. I work in an industry where... I, I just all my vacations have to be approved. I mean, I have to I have to submit them, and then they, they have to you know management has to look at it. And I have a habit of I mean I try to do it well in advance, but they have to make sure that they can find somebody to fill in for me. They have to make sure it's a situation where you know everybody else doesn't have vacation time already approved for that week. If you work in television, for example, there um in TV. They have certain periods of the year, certain two, three-week periods of the year where they call sweeps. And during sweeps, that's where you know your, your ratings, that's where the ratings are extremely important because whoever wins sweeps, that's what they base like advertising rates on. And I know a number of my friends who work in television during, for example, sweeps periods, they're not allowed to take vacation. You know, that doesn't matter, you know, what's going on. You can't take vacation during those periods. So... 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am I am sympathetic if an employee, for example, had, had made plans to, you know, go somewhere in July. Now of course that's six or seven months down six months down the road. But at the same time, if if we energies is saying, look, we need all hands on deck during this particular week. I don't think that's an unreasonable position for them to take. And, and maybe if you've got a particular situation where there's a hardship, I've already booked this thing. It's non-refundable. I'll be out 5000 or $10,000. You know, maybe you look at that on a case-by-case basis. But just generally saying we don't want people taking vacation during this particular week doesn't strike me as being unreasonable. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That is the Accunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Couple texts. Jeff, not a single police officer in Southeast Wisconsin will be granted vacation during the week of the Democratic National Convention. I, I don't know for sure that's true, but if that is, it it would make sense. I mean, I could I could easily see, 
you know, adopting a policy of, of, hey, look, you know, this is we're going to have 50 plus thousand extra people that are going to be here in the city of Milwaukee. And we want to make sure that we have, again, the phrase I'm using is all hands on deck in order to, to deal with this. And if that was the policy that police departments were taking, saying, hey, we're not going to grant vacation, I wouldn't think that that was unreasonable. Um, you know, over the years, like I say here, I, I I don't think I've ever had a problem with trying to get vacation approved, but one of the things they say is is you've got to turn it in in advance. And one of the things I know our bosses have always looked at is what are some of the events that are going on. Hey, look, it's different than the Democratic National Convention, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't put on what I do for a living on the same level as say people that are trying to keep the power on after there's been you know a monster storm that runs through. But we have you know certain big events that we build around the year. For example, State Fair is one of them. And one of the things that we do at State Fair is we have our on-air personalities that are out there doing live broadcasts. And it's something that's kind of expected. And it's sort of understood that, all right, this is going to be a big deal. And we would prefer you Unless it's an emergency situation, you know, just schedule some of your vacation during other times. And it's kind of understood. I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's ridiculous. Jeff, as a Milwaukee police officer, MPD also put out the same memo regarding no scheduling of vacation and 12-hour shifts during the DNC. I appreciate that if this is the case, that it's a, it is an inconvenience perhaps to to employees, and, and I get it. I mean, I'm an employee, too, that applies for vacation. I get that it could be an inconvenience, but in the situation, let's assume that we energies, I mean, they're in a position where, look, we, the last thing we want with this huge event going on with international implications, the last thing we want is to have one of those massive thunderstorms, you know, roll through southeast Wisconsin and, you know, cause all this damage and power lines go down and we don't have full crews that are available to be able to go out and deal with this. Now, it, it could be sometimes that you get the weather and the storm systems that move through, they're, they're so severe that you're not going to, you know, even if you've got the full crews, you still need to bring in people from elsewhere to help. But I guess I look at this, and while I understand this, the fact that you know some employees who might regularly have planned to you know go somewhere else, or a Milwaukee police officer might regularly plan, hey, this is the week we typically you know go up north and go fishing. Well, okay, this particular year, given that this is the first and probably only time in most of our life in our lifetimes that the Democratic National Convention is going to come to Milwaukee. I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, this is a big deal. You're not going to be able to take vacation during this week. I don't plan. I hadn't planned to be on vacation, but I know what my responsibilities here at the station are going to be during the Democratic National Convention. And I know for sure that if I just arbitrarily said, hey, I'd like to take some time off. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if they'd forbid it, but they wouldn't be very happy. So in any event, I'm sympathetic to the We Energy employees. I'm sympathetic to the Milwaukee police officers. But at the end of the day, all right, it, it's one week, in this case, one week out of a lifetime, and I think maybe you just got to work around it. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Okay, before we move away from the subject of politics for the week, one of the things, and look, the, the Iowa Democrat caucus was, was a debacle. I mean, they're, they're still apparently counting votes. Um, if for all intents and purposes, a, a dead heat between Buttigieg and um, Bernie Sanders. All right. Elizabeth Warren comes in a, a distant third place. So Warren 
clearly a loser, spent a lot of time in trying to, uh, again, a lot of time trying to, to build a grassroots campaign in Iowa. And what happened is she was, she's running among the progressive candidates, the far left candidates. She's running a, a distant second to Bernie Sanders. All right. The biggest loser, though, and it's interesting, is Joe Biden, the former vice president who still leads in most national polls, leads in most national polls. But the, the campaign, Biden ran fourth, and it wasn't really a close fourth. His crowds in Iowa were disappointing, and I think that would be fair to say. So maybe that's a lack of organizing. Maybe it's that Joe Biden's message doesn't relate very well to Iowa. Who knows? So he very, very poor showing. I think everybody would agree with that. On top of that, he his fundraising is not keeping up with like the Bernie Sanders of the world. As a matter of fact, the New Hampshire primary that where they vote on next Tuesday, um, as far as money available for advertising buys, you know, Biden only has or is only committed about a third as much as say Bernie Sanders is going to, and that's because I mean Biden is having trouble with fundraising. So you've got New Hampshire. And you know, who knows what's actually going to happen there? But there is, it, there's, there's a very good chance that that he he might run. He could run fourth. Could easily be the same order that it was before. Don't know, but it could very well be that. After that, you've got Nevada, and then you've got um, the South Carolina primary. Now, in statewide polls, Biden appears to be doing better in South Carolina than he's doing in some of these other states. But South Carolina is not until February 29th. And if you theoretically get blown out in New Hampshire next Tuesday, and then let's say you don't do particularly well in Nevada, the question is, are are you still going to be viable? Are you still going to have donors that are willing to contribute? Now, I find this to be particularly interesting because I have said, as I've said on multiple times, I think... When people ask me, how do I think the election is going to turn out next November? I, I always say it depends. And I say it depends because I don't know who is going to be the candidate running against Donald Trump. I still believe that we are a center right to center left country. And I think, for example, if the Democrats go ahead and nominate somebody like Joe Biden, a, a, a moderate liberal, but a center left candidate, somebody who's not going to blow up the entire system, I think that candidate will have a very good chance of beating President Trump. On the other hand, if the Democrats were to nominate an Elizabeth Warren, and she appears to be slipping, or a Bernie Sanders who is picking up all sorts of momentum, I think it's a different dynamic because then the election becomes not about President Trump, but it becomes about, again, Bernie Sanders and are we really ready at this point in time in our history to turn this country over to to a socialist? Are we ready to, I don't know, cancel all student debt? Are we willing to essentially eliminate the insurance industry? I could go on and on. Are we willing to eliminate um, fracking, which has created, you know, tons of jobs and energy independence for the, for the country. But I, th- this could very well be the case that, that, yes, at least from the perspective of the Democrat Party, we're, they're going to nominate somebody like Bernie Sanders, which changes the dynamic. Okay, we only have a couple minutes before the top of the hour, but 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Here is my question. I, is Joe Biden history? Was, was Iowa just a blip? That, you know, a month from now, 
after New Hampshire and after the Nevada caucuses, after you know the, the South Carolina primary and then moving into two, Super Tuesday, is Joe Biden going to be the, the front runner like a lot of people thought he was when he first got into the race? Or has the Biden campaign been a complete and total flop? Is this a situation where you know he's he's the candidate of, of 2008, not the candidate of 2020? And if that is the case, what does that mean moving forward? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know that I think you can say that the Biden campaign is over. I don't think that would be fair. I do think it's fair to say if it's not on life support, well, it's certainly getting a pacemaker installed because this is is trouble. I mean, Joe Biden went into this race as being the the alternative, the moderate alternative to, again, the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warren wings of the Democrat Party. And and he's he's getting passed up. Uh, You've got, you know, Mayor Pete who's emerging as, you know, the, the role that, that Biden had. But here's a guy that's just without the experience level, but a, but a lot younger than that. You've got Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, who uh, appeals, I think, to the same set. She was running close with where, where Biden was. They're younger. I, I think Biden, you know, candidly, I, I look at him on the campaign trail, and I, I don't, I mean, I don't have a horse in the, that race, but I look at him on the campaign trail, and he he does strike me as as being I, I want to say old and I, I guess by that I mean he, he seems dis, disoriented at times he struggles for words and it, it's not necessarily a function of age because I, I look at Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders who's older than Joe Biden is is a firebrand but I think you look at some of the stuff going on I think there's a lot of people out there that are generally generally wondering about, you know, what's going to happen with Joe Biden. Is the Biden campaign over? Uh, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think it's not over. But one real question is, how does the guy how does the guy hang on to a place like South Carolina where people think he could do moderately well? Dan on the south side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Well, I was just telling you now, sir. I just don't know um, about New Hampshire. Just it's too early in the game for one thing. Another thing is, if he does badly in Nevada and Carolina, then yes. But it's way too early right now. I think. Okay, so you think that this we we shouldn't be worried. People who support Joe Biden shouldn't be worried about a fourth place finish. You you think he can turn it around? No. Yeah. No, I, I mean you've had other people in fourth place and they've come around, correct? Yeah. No, you absolutely. Now the problem though is that it's. It's it's not like you've got some insurgent that nobody knows about that gains momentum. I mean, Joe Biden went into this as one of the prohibitive favorites, and and he he wasn't able to deliver. Now again, Iowa, Iowa is one thing, but you know if if you if you lay an egg in New Hampshire on Tuesday, all right, then there there starts to be this kind of negative momentum that builds up. I I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think the story of the year thus far, the two stories on the Democrat side, has been one. The, the underperformance and the struggles of Joe Biden. I'm not just talking about in Iowa. I'm talking about with raising money, the missteps on the campaign trail, things like that. And the inability, it was always going to be either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, which one of those two is going to emerge as the, the darling of the, the far left. And it certainly appears that it's Bernie Sanders, which is interesting to me as well. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Please stick around. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, Melissa Barkley, what color is your automobile? Silver. Yours is silver. Mm-hmm. Would you like to guess worldwide, I'm not talking about just the United States, but worldwide, what is the most popular mm. color for an automobile? I would say silver. You would say silver. Mm-hmm. Crew, what color is your vehicle? Silver. Yours is silver. <laughs> oh, oh no. isn't that cute? Oh. What would you guess is the most worldwide, I'm not talking about the U.S., but worldwide, what would you guess is the most popular car color? Kind of like that light blue kind of color. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to just say blue because I don't mean like a strong royal blue or anything. Like almost like a teal, like a dusty light blue. Worldwide, kinda. do you think that's the most popular? Sure, yeah. You would be wrong. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even be close. Okay. Uh, here, oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, well, no, here. Okay, here. And, and It's probably like fuchsia. It's the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday <laughs> program, so we do a little bit of lighter stuff. But no, here's the deal. Worldwide, matter of fact, there's this new study, global, and again, the U.S. is different, um, but globally, their, their new reports just come out. It's Exalta Global Automotive Color Popularity Report for 2019. All right, the number one worldwide color for automobiles is white, 38% Interesting. white. What about Th- you? What color is your car? Um, I'll get to that in just a second. Oh, okay. 38% white, 19% black. 12% gray. Mine is gray. Mine's kind of like that, 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 what do they call it? Burnt steel or something like that. It's kind of like, well, gray. I mean, that's kind of like silver. Silver gray? Well, yeah. right. Well, no, and they, they classify silver as, as a fourth one. I think they, they have okay. silver sort of, uh, let's see, most popular hues, 38% opt for white, 19% black, 13% gray, and then silver is fourth. Worldwide. Okay, that's pretty So they good. distinguish silver from gray. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, to your point, in the United States, silver is number one, Ooh. white is number two. But, but worldwide, it's, it's white. Now, I guess I found this interesting because my wife's car is white. Oh, interesting. And yeah. she, she loves it. She swears by this. And I, I ultimately decided to keep my car. I, w- I was thinking about maybe trading it in. But, um, I, and then, of course, one of the big decisions you have is color. And not only would I not get a white car because she had a white car, and yeah. the last thing we want is two white cars. You know, we walk alike, we talk alike, we dress alike. <laughs> no, you know, it would, wouldn't be well, that. Well, I think a lot of people don't necessarily want white because it you can it shows dirt really well. Well, see, now some people say that in the winter it doesn't show dirt oh. as well. But I okay, but see that that's that's where I want to kind of go with this. It, it's I think it's kind of a matter of of taste. My my late wife, her cars were always red. She loved red. She wanted she always wanted a red car. Um, I've I've had all sorts of different cars. I had a Ford Ford Explorer that was white. I had a um, I, I had a, a floor a Ford Escape that was black. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I mean, I, I've had all the different things. The black cars do kind of show dirt a lot. I mm-hmm. that's what I, I kind of noticed. And of course, you know, during the summer, in the summer, there's no question if you've got a black car, the interior just you know it becomes just like really an easy bake oven sure. when, when you go in. But I guess I was a little bit surprised too that that white and in the category of white, it's the winter white. I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of the the most popular one. I. I you know, and maybe it's just a matter of individual taste because I, you know, even if, if my wife's car wasn't white, I, I just don't see, I could see silver. Now, I, I kind of like silver, 
but just a, a plain white car, it's just it's not for me. But obviously, it's for four out of every ten people buying cars globally. I think silver does a really good job of hiding, masking the dirt. I feel like uh, you know, even though when I do get it washed, it feels just so much better. But in the in the winter, sometimes when you can't get it washed regularly, it doesn't look that bad. It looks pretty good still. And, and then, of course, in the what, what what are some of the colors that don't even make the top four? Well, I mean, blue, uh, red. You know, green. You know, mm-hmm. although I would, I you know, green is one that I kind of get tired of. Um, but but I mean, it's it's white, it's black, it's gray, and then it's silver worldwide. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the other things the study says is, as a general rule, the color really doesn't affect resale. I mean, there's some people, and, and there might be a certain particular type of car, and maybe it's a fancy sort of paint job or something that might be an exception. But as a general rule, you know, the, it doesn't really make any difference whether it's a gray whatever or a white whatever or a black whatever from the purpose of, of resale. All right, but I, I was looking at this, and I guess I was stunned by these numbers that say that four out of ten people worldwide want to buy white cars. I got nothing against white. But that's just really not not me, and I'm wondering if if that's I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if that's is there something about that? Is it the fact that it doesn't show dirt as well? Is it the fact that it's kind of ubiquitous? I don't know. I, I guess when I'm going to be looking for a car, if they give me a great deal to take a white one, maybe. But it would have to be a really great deal. That would not be my preference. How important is color to you? Like I say, my late wife. The cars had to be red. I mean, it, it just that she wanted, she loved red. She wanted to drive red cars. And so if, and then it had to be a particular color red. So there were entire universes of, of automobiles that just, they, we, we didn't look at because she, it, it didn't fit that color. I'm not that fussy about color, but I'm not sure white would be the way I would go. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're having some fun on a Friday afternoon. Paul, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? I am well, thank you. I mean, I'm not a hater on white cars. It's just they don't do much for me. Well, I'm a frequent listener and caller. I ran into you a couple times at the Sussex Ball. Okay, sure. It was a delight to talk to you. Thanks. But um, I drive a white F-150 of 2013, and I got some friends that are car salesmen, and they always say that white is the first car to sell or truck, and they're easy to keep clean, so on and so forth. What do you think? Well, I guess, I mean, I understand, I understand why, you know, white would be easy to sell, I guess, simply because, you know, some of the more pronounced colors, you know, they, look, I, I, I'm not a big green guy. If it was a green car, I, it would immediately turn me yeah. off. If it was an orange that car, it would happening. turn me off. Yeah. See, we're, we're in the same boat. So right. I guess if it was, I mean, I don't know that people wouldn't buy a car because it's white. Do you like white? I mean, is that, do you like that as the color? Yeah, personally, uh, if you're into customizing and stuff, you can take a white vehicle, you can put blackouts on the lights, yeah. on the taillights, yeah. tint your windows, you can put black rims on it, and it really dresses it up. I'm not saying that other vehicles don't look good with yeah. accessories, but yeah. I guess I get, you know, I seen the truck. I fell in love with it, so I bought it. Well, you know, and Paul, and don't, you know, don't, 40% of the world agrees with you. No, thanks for calling. I mean, 40% of the world uh, agrees, uh, agrees with you. To me, I, because, like I said, my wife was saying, well, if you bought another car, what, what color would it be? And I'd say, well, I, 
I, I kind of like the same color that I have. And I was told, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to always get different colors. I'm like, well, why don't, what's the matter? Why do I want different colors? I like what I've got. Betty in Waukesha. Betty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Betty. I always drive a white car. Always. White, white, white. I like white. I'm blonde. I think I look good in white. <laughs> they say that. <laughs> oh, Betty, I'll bet you you'd look, I, I bet you you'd look great in silver and gray and all those things. I don't sell yourself short. <laughs> You know, at one point I had heard that people that drive and buy white cars just need a car. They just need the transportation. They don't care what color it is. I'm a little more passionate about it because I like white. I okay. wash my car all the time. I get the unlimited washes. I like it clean. I like it white. White, white, white. Has your car, have you been like that for a while? I mean, after you, when you replace one car, do you typically replace it with a white car? Always. And you know what the weird thing is? I grew up in the car business. So I was like a lot jock ever since I was 12 years old. So I've been around a lot of cars, a lot of colors. So it's kind of strange that, yeah, I gravitated and I always have a white car. Well, you, you know, well, I see that, I think, that again, like I say, my, my late wife, it had to be a red car. I mean, that was that was it. Okay, let's see some text here. Never again a red car. Um, Jeff, almost uh, from Marquette, Michigan. Jeff, almost every car I've owned literally was rust colored. As an auto dealer, I would own a white or a silver vehicle as the body was easier to clean, buff, and polish. It doesn't so so scratches as easily. Jeff, color is everything. I'm 55 years old, and every three years since the age of 22, I've bought a new car always black or dark charcoal gray nothing else it will stay that way jeff white is the best i've gone an entire winter without washing my white car now i own a black one and it's dirty the first time i drive it after a wash yeah that's what i think the the i think what they typically say is that the dirt doesn't show on the white cars as much as on the black jeff i've owned nothing but black cars i love the sleek classy look especially when i clean and wax it i take great pride in how my car looks um, interesting. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, this is Ryan in West Bend. My father-in-law told us not to get a white car. He was a paramedic and said that in winter in Wisconsin, they blend in with the snow, and he responded to a lot of accidents with white vehicles. Huh. Huh, Jeff, white cars make me think of old retirees in Florida. Well, I, I, I don't know. Jeff, my truck has my car truck has to be either black or dark gray. I've had only one other color in the last 25 or 30 years. Glenn in Sheboygan. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Glenn. See, I have a little bit of a little bit of a different take. Um, and um, I've had a, a variety of colors, but um, I was telling your producer in, in more recent years, I've taken more to uh, purchasing program vehicles. And so, you know, when you find a good deal on something, um, you know, you don't necessarily have a color option, uh, but that's been fine. Um, you know, and I've had, uh, I've had maroon, I've had white, I've had different things, you know, but. Um, uh, so you you're know, all about you the deal. Know. You don't, you don't care what it could be. It could, it could be aqua. It could be lime green, yeah. as long as you're getting a good deal on it, huh? <laughs> Well, it kind of was, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the, but it's the vehicle I want. You know, that's the thing. Right. It's it's what I want, and I'm getting a good buy on it. And I guess you know, I, I'll I'll drive it if it's you. Yeah. You, you yeah. are you are the classic Wisconsinite. There's nothing wrong with that. Yo, it's like I. What do I care what the color is? You know, I'm I'm not the you know as long as it's getting me where I'm going and it works. No, thanks. I, I mean, I I get that. I mean, I I do. I get that. I I certainly understand it. It's just, I guess, I was kind of surprised. And the reason I want to talk about this is I was surprised that. 
again, it's globally. It's in in the U.S. In the U.S., it's silver, then it's white, then it's black, and, and then it goes on from there. But the blue cars, red cars, percentage-wise, they're, they're not even close. I mean, we're, we're talking about white and silver and, um, you know, and then blue to an extent. Let's talk to, let's see, Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on WTMJ. How's it going? Real well, thank you. Okay, does, does color make a difference to you? It totally does, and and what because I for some reason always, you know, as you're younger, you have to kind of get what you can get, and whatever the cars you can afford, and they all happen to be some form of red or burgundy or reddish something. So for me, when I was able to afford to buy what I wanted, I was not getting red again, and then I got black because I just it's what you can afford, and for me, it just always happened to be a red car. Yeah. Now, see, it's interesting. Now, thanks. See, it's interesting because we had to, like I say, when when my late wife was looking for cars, there was it. You you were limited in the styles of red that you could have, and then she had some other requirements as well. But it always had to be red. It was definitely easier to find. It was definitely easier to find white cars or gray cars or or you know black cars than it was to find the the red ones. I um. Um, it's just you know I'm wearing red today because it's the heart thing. Red wasn't never was not necessarily my color. Dan and Grafton, Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Does color matter? Uh, yes and no. Now I'm like you. I don't like a white car. I don't like the looks of it. But there's actually practical purposes to a white car. If you put your hand on a white car during the summer. Yeah. You're not going to notice much of a difference, but you put your hand on a black car, you're going to burn your hand off. Yeah, yeah. It's no. a, the white reflects the heat so much better. But the disadvantage of a white car is on the road, you can't see it as well. But you have a red car, you can see that uh, a mile away. Yeah. If I had a daughter, I'd have her in a red car. Really? Yeah, because you you, I mean, you so stand out. Practical purposes to it as well. No, there, there is. No, yeah, no, absolutely. There's no question about it. And again, I, I think you know you go down to Florida, and especially in the areas where it's it's warm, it's really hot in the summer, with Arizona or whatever, and it's you know warm in the winter. You know, you're going to have more demand for that too, because the car sits out in the hot sun all day and it doesn't absorb the heat. I just got tons of texts on this. Gray, silver, black, green, and blue cars are hard to see at night. Also during the day, they blend into the hue of the highway. Compound this with the heat radiating from the pavement on a hot day. Almost hides them from ongoing traffic. White is my color, and you can still see white in the winter on pavement. Well, I tell you, for those of you who are out there driving those white cars, 40% of the world agrees with you. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love the text. Hey, Jeff, I am currently stopped at Highway 16 in Main Street by WCTC in Pewaukee. I know that intersection. Truly, there are six cars at the stoplight. All are gray, including mine. You know, this, it is one of the things. The, the, I own an SUV, and the SUV I have is the most popular selling SUV in the country. And I have it, like I say, it's this like silver gray, the silver metal thing. And um, you, you cannot pull into a parking lot without seeing multiple versions of your car. And I will tell you truly, there have been a couple occasions where I've gone to the wrong car. And it's just like, okay, you go up, you know, and you you know, and you've got the um you've got the the automatic key fob and the door's supposed to just automatically unlock and I go and I pull up on the door handle and nothing happens. I'm going, why the blank isn't something happening? And then you kinda look inside and say, Oh, because that's not my car, dummy. And then, of course, you look around to make sure somebody doesn't think you're breaking into their car. And there's mine three cars over. 
Um, you know, go figure. Jeff, car color absolutely matters. A guy at work bought a pink truck because he got a screaming great deal. We have been teasing him for having a Barbie truck for the last 10 years. Well, yeah, see, I, I think I look good in a pink golf shirt. I'm not sure about a, I'm not sure about a pink truck.